faithful God. We thank you that, that this morning as we, as we come to, to hear what you have to share with us, Father, as a God who wants to dwell amongst us, Lord, that, that you have chosen Ruloff, that you've set him aside, that you've called him this morning, Lord, to, to bring what you've laid upon his heart, Father. And, and may we have ears to hear this morning what you're saying, Father. We, we pray, Lord, that he will not grow weary, Father, as he shares the life that you have, have so lovingly given him to share this morning, Father. We pray just your hand upon him, and your Lord, that your face will shine upon him and us this morning. In Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Good morning, good morning. <clears throat> good morning to the people online, those at home that are sitting nice and comfortably in your, uh, in your lounge. Um, I just wanted to, to let you know that um, those that are online, what you don't know is that we downloaded a small piece of software along with a stream. We can actually see into your lounge. So I just, I just wanted to warn you. Okay, that was just a joke. We won't do that. We're not Google. This morning, uh, I said to my daughter, will you please pray for me? Because daddy's preaching this morning. She said to me, is preaching like an oral? She's eight. I said, yes, it's kind of like an oral, but there are people going to be online and, and I have to look into a camera and then, and then they're going to see at home what we're doing here at the church. She said, but, but that's easy. You must just say good stuff. I said, yeah, but the problem is you need to know what good stuff is. She says, you're a grown-up. You need to know what good stuff is. <laughs> I was thinking out of the mouth of a child. Uh, so this morning, I'm going to continue our theme, and we, are, we have been talking about community, and uh, just want to continue along the current line, which is the line of thought, which is around community and the importance of community. And um, I said to God, I said, you know, Lord, we, we've talked about this quite a bit, and we've heard these scriptures, and, and, and the scripture I want to start with is Acts 2.42. Um, we've heard Acts 2.42 so many times over the years, but I hope that we can have a conversation this morning, and I can share just one or two things, some thoughts around uh, this Acts 2.42, and what over the years, maybe in Josh and it's meant to me personally, to to us as a, as a family personally, and then maybe just some, some ideas around what it could potentially mean to you. So Acts, I, I know the people at home cannot see the slides with the scriptures, so please uh, yell at me if I'm not sharing the scriptures. I'll try and mention them to you, but encourage the people online to just uh, end upstairs. Just take out your Bible, and then uh, if you've got the scriptures in front of you, it's going to make it a little bit easier to follow along. Um, we are trying to share a bit more scripture, but I can't read all of them because it takes too long. And we don't want to keep you here until, until this afternoon. So Acts 2.42 starts off by saying that they devoted themselves. They, in the NIV, it, uh, it says devoted. Um, in, in the original translation, it's they continued steadfastly. Uh, you might find that in other translations. So they continued steadfastly, meaning that there was a continuous act of, of, of execution. There was something that they just kept at it. They kept at it. They kept doing it in a steadfast manner. Steadfast meaning not wavering. They just carried on and they kept doing this. And uh, they committed themselves to these various things. And the particular idea that I have in mind this morning is this 
devotion to community, which really is, is fundamental to fellowship. But this devotion that, that you see with them to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to breaking of bread, to the fellowship, is the same kind of devotion that they had towards the group, the collective community. Now, I want to point out some interesting things to you that might help us to understand that piece of Scripture just a little bit better. You'll notice a couple of things. Firstly, there was only one congregation. There was only one congregation at that point in time. It was a very unique point in time where there was this one congregation. So that devotion was to that particular congregation. They really were committed to what that group as a collective was experiencing and was executing within Jerusalem. And then I want to point out one or two other things to you. The other thing that's noticeable is that it followed just after something very significant that took place. And it was Peter getting up and sharing a word with him. So there was something on that word of Peter that caused this to happen. It was the precursor to this devotion was a preaching, a preach by the Apostle Peter. And it was at the end of that preach, it says that they were cut to the heart. So there was a piercing preach by Peter where the word penetrated people's hearts. And there was an anointing. There was something of, of an anointing on that word that cut them, that said, gosh, we have to do something. Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? It says they were pierced to the heart. What shall we do? And then something really significant happened. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So you see, the piercing anointing of the word combined with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit caused this event to take place. It caused this kind of response in people. So I want to share just three ideas with you this morning that we can extract from that scripture to see how we get to that point where we are devoted, where we execute that kind of devotion, where we experience that kind of passion. And I've broken it down into just three little headings. The first one is revelation. So there's got to be some form of revelation that causes this. Because the question I'm asking us, if I had to ask you, what does community mean to you? I think many people would respond, it's, it's a Wednesday meeting. It's when I go to my Wednesday meeting. But what we mean by community is much bigger and broader than that. What we mean by community is the collective. It's the group context. It's us as the people of God. And, you know, in ancient times, if you looked at ancient society, ancient society was a collectivist society. We are primarily in an individualistic society, us as South Africans, as Westerners, in Cape Town, that's mostly how we live. We're very individualistic. We get this from Europe and from, uh, from first world countries where there's, a, there's an individualism that's involved in it. But in ancient society, that wasn't the case at all. Actually, the Roman Empire was completely woven together. The empire cult, uh, rhetoric, and violence, this was all embedded in society, into the fabric of society. There were four legs that the empire stood on. And when they spoke about the cult, the empire cult, or being able to have religious context, it was all embedded in the same context. So when you think about scripture being, being spoken or written to those people, you always think about the group, 
It's never about the individual. It's always about the group. There is an individual aspect, which I will address uh, in a while. But there was this passion amongst the people that came out of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we, we, we want that same passion to be inside us. We want that same kind of devotion. And the quest, question to myself is, how do we get it? If, you, if it's not there, how do you actually get it? You, you can't conjecture it. You can't make it up. You can't, you can't wind something up and now all of a sudden you're passionate. So there's got to be something that, we can, that, that ignites this inside us, that makes it come alive. So point number one is that there's, I'm going to talk about revelation just a little bit. And the second one I want to talk about is passion or motivation. That thing that sits behind that conviction that I want to do something. I want to talk to us about the, the passion a little bit. And then lastly about perseverance. So it's those three things. It's revelation, passion, and perseverance. Just want to break it down in, uh, into those, those three headings. So firstly, in, in, the, in the 16th, uh, 16th century, there was, the, there was a lot of persecution. And the Protestants in Europe were really being persecuted. If you had a Bible and you read the Bible and they found you with a Bible, they would slaughter you. They'd cut you apart or they would drown you or they'd suffocate you or they'd burn you, burn you alive. But they weren't quite happy uh, if they found you with a Bible. And there are many stories, but there's this one of, of a young girl that worked for a government official um, in Flandre in Europe. And uh, she worked for this government official and then the police, or the uh, government officials came knocking on the door and they burst through the house and they searched the house and inside the house they found a Bible. And the head of the home, this girl was a servant girl where they found the Bible. The head of the home said, no, 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 she actually just owns it. Uh, she doesn't really read it. It's just something she owns. But the girl said, no, 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 I actually read it. I read it all the time. And they were trying, he was trying to convince her not to make that statement because she's going to get executed. I mean, the, the punishment for reading your Bible is execution. Makes you think about that. Hey, we've got probably like 15 Bibles lying around in the home. They found you with a Bible, they cut you apart, they kill you. But this girl had no fear, and she said to them, no, I want to, I want to, um, I want to let you know that I am actually reading this Bible. They said, all right, well, if you, if you insist, then what we're going to do is we, we, we are going to put you to death. And she said, well, that, that's okay. So what they did is they put her outside in, in public space into a wall, and they started bricking her up. And as they bricked her up, they tried to convince her to, to say that she was not reading her Bible or that she does not believe in Jesus. And she kept at it, and she said, no, she stuck to her story. She said, I believe in Jesus. And then she said, my... My Lord suffered for me, and today I'm suffering for him. But I'm not going to change my story. And they bricked her up until just her face stuck out. And finally said to her, we, we, need you, we need you to come to your senses. And the last words that they heard from her mouth was, Father, forgive my murderers. Forgive those who are murdering me. Just like Stephen. And then they bricked her up, and they suffocated her inside the wall. Now, what makes somebody that convicted about something? What, what is it that drives somebody like that to have that kind of conviction, that kind of passion, 
um, insider? That's the question we're asking ourselves. So firstly, just with regards to Revelation, um, and I'm not talking about Revelation of the Bible, but it is probably appropriate. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Revelation. So I want you to just let your mind go back over the things that we've been sharing regarding Revelation. That in Revelation 17, we have this picture of a woman that is riding on a beast. And this beast, if you're going to put up the scriptures as I just mentioned them, Revelation 17. I think it's 17.3 I gave you. So those, on, this woman is sitting on this beast, and there's, there's this beast, and this, it says that I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with, blas with blasphemous names, and had seven heads and ten horns. It's powerful, and it's busy doing some really bad things. And behind this beast, in Revelation 13, we see the same beast. We see the same beast in Revelation 13. Revelation 13 there are two beasts being mentioned. The one comes up out of the earth and the one comes up out of the sea. And the one that comes up out of the earth is a beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Behind this beast, there's a dragon. So the point here is that false religion will be prevalent in society. But behind it, there's a dragon. So this is the revelation part. We need to see this because I think... In modern society, sometimes we're completely oblivious of what's going on. We think that, you know, like there's no tomorrow. I mean, things are just carrying on as normal. Like uh, a Hindu friend of mine once said to me, somehow life just goes on. But the revelation part says that we need to be very cognizant that there's some cosmic battle happening in the background, that we don't just ignore it. And then if you look at Revelation 12, and I'm going backwards through Scripture now, from 17, the beast, to 13, the beast, which is the same beast that comes up out of the earth. And you will see behind the beast in Revelation 13, 12, it says, He exercised all the authority of the first beast, made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. Behind all of this, this false religion, this false religion that's coming at you and me. It's trying to, trying to tell you to believe things that you should not. There's a dragon. And in Revelation 12, we see what this dragon is busy with. If you can go to Revelation 12. In Revelation 12, you'll see what, what the dragon is trying to do. And the, the dragon is coming for you and it's coming for me. Don't you have Revelation 12? Let me read it. Revelation 12:17 it says then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring now this woman gave birth to the lord jesus the man child and the offspring is you and me it's you and me we are the offspring and this dragon is making war against us so the revelation that we need to get and to understand is that there's a cosmic battle going on. And it's a battle that's coming at you and for you. This dragon's coming for you and me. Not that we should be fearful, but we must be aware. That awareness, that revelation tells us that maybe we should approach things in a certain way. Then the Apostle Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 6. He says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. 
but it's against Ephesians 6 12. It's against the powers, the principalities, and the dark forces of this world. The powers, the principalities, the demons that are the dragon's servants that are coming for you and me. And that's what a battle against is against. That is the battle that we're busy fighting. Now, you, you could ask me, you know, what on earth does that have to do with community? Because I want to tell you this morning, community is a weapon. It's a weapon in the hand of the believer. That's what community is. Do you have to go to a community? Do you have to build into a community? Do you have to be committed to a community? No, you don't. But you're going to have less armor. I can tell you that. You're going to be not as strong as you can be. So here's the thing about war. If, if we are in the middle of a war, and Paul says that we're in the middle of a war, then we need weaponry and we need other soldiers. Right? Or do you fight a war on your own? You do not fight a war on your own. If you, actually, if you think in ancient times, they used to count the soldiers, and the strength of your army was based on how many soldiers you had. Now we look at weaponry. How much weaponry we've got. Community is a weapon. And we can use a we this weapon. And this, this weapon is something that can fend off the enemy. This is what we use it for. It's something that God gave us as a tool that we can use to fight the enemy, to get strengthened, to get empowered, to heal our wounds, but also to build us up in our faith so that we can go out there and fight the battle again. And sometimes we're wounded. And sometimes we come back and people need to take care of us and they patch us up a little bit and we, we're not feeling that great. And then there are other people that come around us and, and they support us. I was listening to a testimony of the number one sprinter in the world at the moment. He's called Ravon Brumel. He's a He's an American sprinter, and he went through a very, very difficult time for almost five years. Tore um, his, his Achilles, he had two Achilles operations, had really bad uh, knee surgery. I don't know whether he had surgery on the knees, but I know his patella was completely um, uh, ruptured. He ruptured the tendon, attached the patella tendon, I believe. But he had some really serious injuries on both his knees and his Achilles, and he went through a very, very difficult time. And the commentator asked him, the interviewer said to him, so, so what did you do? And he said, I got a couple of Christian brothers, Christian people, his Christian friends. He got them together and we prayed. And they prayed and he says, I was really in a dark place. And we prayed and, and he took, after he'd won the American Championships now recently, actually it was last week, he's now on the Olympic team and he took, this number that you have to run with, a number that was on his shirt, and he turned it around and he showed it to the camera and it said, God is real. He said, God is real. He said, Christ is real. And the commentator said to him, the interviewer, how important is it for you to go to the Olympics? Because that's the pinnacle of all the hard work that you've put in over so many, so many years. That's, that's what it would mean. And it means everything to them to make that Olympic team. They call them the sudden death trials because you have one opportunity. You run on the day. You make the first three in the team. You have flu. You don't make the team. You have to be on the day. You've got to be on song. So you can train for years and you can get food poisoning the previous night and you could not be on the team. 
They call them the sudden death trials. So he's on the team. You know what he said to the, to the interviewer? He said, yeah, it's important for me to make the team, but it's more important for me that I'm a testimony, that I'm somebody that people look at, and that I can tell them that God is real and faith is real. It's more important for him to be an example to others, an encouragement to others, than it is to make the Olympic team. That's what he wants to use it for. Now, what on earth is it that puts that kind of passion inside somebody? I want to say to you, the first thing is that there's real revelation there of who the Lord Jesus is. Real revelation of whom he is, what he has done, and what he wants to do in and through you. There's real revelation of that. So I want to um, also think about that's the, that's the driving force behind the passion, is the revelation. But I uh, also want to think a little bit about this, um, this passion in the context of Philippians 2. So if you can put uh, Philippians 2, verse 12, up there for me. Thank you. So in Philippians 2, verse 12, this is now Paul writing from prison with great joy, expressing to the church. I'm still thinking about this idea of passion. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Just some thoughts around that particular passage. Maybe we'll read the next verse as well. For it is God, just go to the next verse, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's the God, God's purpose is being worked out. As you work out your salvation. Just go back to verse 12. Just look, look and think about that verse for a moment. You work out. There's work involved. You work it out. So initially, when we get saved, we get it for free. It's purely by faith. It's the grace of God. He makes you come alive. He gives you the faith, actually, the ability to be able to trust Him. And it's free. So we're almost like slaves standing with open hands and we just receive something. You're just receiving it. You're not working for it. You're not doing anything. You're just receiving it. It's a gift that gets given to you. It's initiated by God. It's purely by grace. And the vehicle is faith. And the faith gets given anyway. So there's nothing we do to deserve it. It's entirely God's initiative. That's the starting point. But then Paul says this. He says, you work out your salvation. And Paul says, even while I'm not there. So I want to tell you that even when people are not seeing you, even when the pastor is not looking over your shoulder or the boss is not looking over your shoulder, we need to be working out our salvation with these very carefully selected words, fear and trembling. What does that tell you? It tells you that there's... There's a commitment required to be able to do this. It tells you that there is resistance to be expected. So if we think about the revelation and the draconian powers that are coming at you and me, those forces that are trying to drag you away and entice you in a way, even by your own evil desires, then there's some kind of, of fear and trembling here that goes along with this outworking of salvation. So there's a commitment that's required. There's a dedication that's required. There is, um, there is a weightiness to it. 
if you think about it, if there's fear and trembling, there needs to be a, there's almost like a weightiness to it, but not a heaviness. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So it needs to be easy, and it's weighty, but it's not heavy. It's not meant to weigh us down. So it's, we're not meant to be fearful. We work out our salvation, but the salvation is worked out with fear and trembling. But we're not fearful. Does that make sense to you, what I'm saying? But there's a seriousness to it. There's a weightiness to it. And the salvation gets worked out. So as we work it out, as we work it out, I want to say this to you. It's as you use what you've got that you get more. It's as you use what you've got that you get more. Remember when Jesus was, was increasing the bread and he was feeding all those people? He took a piece of bread and he broke it. And as he broke it, the bread was just there. I always think about that amazing enacted parable as some God giving you something and you're taking it. And as you're breaking it, it just becomes more. But it's as you break it. It's not abracadabra and then there's lots, which is our hamburger and hot dog society. What we want is we want to pray, God gives me, and then I use it. No, no. As you use it, because that's what faith is, as you walk it out, as you work it out, it becomes more. You're going to say to me, what's that got to do with community? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure there's something. It's got, it, it's got to have to do with community in some way. It has a lot to do with community. In Corinthians, the one Corinthians letter, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and what he's fighting in Corinth is a jostling and a tussle and separation of people in terms of ideas and thoughts. And there's a, there are factions inside Corinth. And he's fighting those factions. And what he says to the, Corinthian, to the Corinthian people is in 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to read the whole chapter now, 12, 13, and 14. Is that okay? So you can read that on your own. But you'll see in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit being poured out upon people and what it means to have these gifts and what they consist of. And he mentions a whole bunch of them. But I want to tell you that there are many more gifts. I, I, I know that a man told the story of, he said, I've got the strangest gift I know. He was doing a lot of writing and a lot of analysis work, a lot of exegesis, writing commentaries on the Bible, actually wrote commentaries on every book of the Bible. And he said that I've got the strangest gift I know. If I look for a book, God tells me where to find it. And some of these books are really obscure, and he would be sent to some strange library and go down into a dungeon below the earth, and then God will say to him, it's behind that door which you're looking for. And he would find the book. He says, it's the most amazing thing. God always tells me where to find these books. Now, God might give you a strange gift like that. Some really strange gift. I, I, I think I have a couple of strange things that sometimes happen to me. I won't tell you what they are, but they are a little bit strange. But God has this, this way of putting some things inside us that are unique to us as people, as individuals. And he's done the same for you. And where do you find it and where do you explore it? In community. And if you see how Paul structured his letter to the Corinthians, he talks about gifts. 
Then he talks about love, and then he talks about gifts again. You see, the gifts are bound together by love. So if I had to say to you this morning that the most important thing that we can do as a community is to live out love, I, w- I will say to you, it's something I don't even want to mention because I don't know how to do it. You've heard me maybe say this, and I say this to myself. How do I actually, how do you love? If I legislate love, how would you do it? And the key, the key is your gifts. That's the key. You see, because the gifts are not for you. They're for someone else. And if you talk about passion, if you want passion, if you want to be passionate about what you do, You need to find out how God has made you and what he's put inside you. You have to explore how God has put you together. And you've got to find those things that make you come alive. And you do that in the context of a community with other people. You start seeing what you enjoy doing. What you enjoy doing is what you're passionate about. What you're passionate about, you will be good at. And as you do it, you'll become better and better and better. So as you explore your gifts in the context of community, you will come alive. So the word to community leaders and to those that are in touch with other people or leading groups of people, you must create a context where people can explore their gifts, where they can find out who God has made them to be where those gifts start manifesting, they start coming alive. And as they come alive, there will be passion. Passion is birthed from that place. Trayvon Brumel, you don't have to tell him to go and train. You don't have to legislate for him to go to the training center. He loves running because God's made him that way. I can really relate to that. I absolutely love running. But I'm not a jogger. I'm a sprinter. I can't jog. I did a 10K once. I can only run from here to there. But man, Eric Little said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. That's what it's like for me. When I sprint, when I run flat out, when I do plyometric drills, when I jump, I experience that pleasure. It's a passion that's inside me. I've been doing it for ever since I can remember. I think I joined the gym when I was 10. John Short's gym in Pretoria. So I can understand that passion. Nobody has to tell me to do it. It's something that burns inside me. I can't help it. I love it. As a little boy, I was, I was eight years old, just a little boy. I used to lie in bed and used to pray to God. I used to say, Lord, make me fast. I want to be able to run. I want to be as fast as Anton Heyman. That's what I used to pray. <laughs> I became a lot faster than him. But it's something that God's just put inside me. I don't know why. Maybe it's his sense of humor. I mean, who on earth wants to run? It's a lot of work. But when you go and you put in the training and you put in the exercise and you put in the work, it comes automatically. It comes easily for me. When sweat's pouring down your face and you're hurting and you're tired and you're aching and the bones are creaking and more and more the joints are creaking and the bones are creaking... But you don't mind that because you do it for the joy set before you. And somewhere inside you, there's something that just that's driving you. And there's a passion inside you. And that's what God wants to do for you and for me. 
in the context of community. It's when you find those gifts, you start living out those gifts. Then it's like, man, why am I enjoying this so much? I love doing this. It's because God's made you that way and he's put it inside you and he wants it to come alive. And then you express your love to others through that gifting. That's how you express your love. The Bible says if you're an encourager, encourage. If you're an administrator, administrate. And there are millions of other diverse gifts that you can express to others. So the, in the community context, the expression of love is through the gifts that God's in, uh, put inside you. And you clearly see how 1 Corinthians 13 glues together 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, where he moves from explaining the gifts into love, that's the most excellent way. The expression of gifting is love. And then goes back to the gifts. See, it's love that binds it together. The expression is the love that you express towards others. You can't express love towards yourself. Well, you can, but it's meant to be towards others. You're meant to bless others with what God's put inside you. Except maybe for one or two things. And then lastly, I just want to mention quickly, perseverance. This thing of perseverance, carrying on. If we are passionate and if we have revelation, then it will be easy to persevere. Perseverance does take a little bit of discipline sometimes. It does. Sometimes you really don't feel like doing it. I was reading a book on um, Rafael Nadal and just his work ethic. Rafael Nadal is passionate about playing tennis. But he's got a work ethic that is actually quite amazing. So no matter whether he's been out and about or giving interviews or whatever he's been doing, even until like 5 o'clock in the morning at 9 o'clock, he's on the tennis court. No sleeping late. No letting it stand over to the next day. He's got an absolutely deliberate work ethic that is uncompromising. And that's why he is as good as he is. But you see, behind it is there's a passion for it. There's a passion that's driving him. It's not legislated. And then we will be able to persevere, as the book of Hebrews puts it. I don't think I gave you those scriptures, but you can go and read these. There's, there's something that's really significant about the perseverance. In these incredible warning passages uh, in Hebrews Hebrews 6, I'm thinking, and Hebrews 10, these terrible warning passages, they are really scary. But then it says in, in verse 12, 6, 12, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Here's the thing. There's reward on the other side. This is a really significant revelation to see, is that God does not let your efforts and your community efforts and your association and expression of love to others go unrewarded. He will reward it. If you as much as give somebody a cup of water, he says, you're, 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 you're going to get rewarded for it. So we must never think that any of this is in vain. We must use the weapon that God has given us, the weapon that we should use against the enemy, where we encourage one another, where we have a place where we can lick our wounds, where we can just come and be ourselves and get the support of others, but also a place where we can war and pray and where we can, we can take ground, where we can move forward, where we can look at the Scriptures and say, look at what this text means. I'm going to use this as a weapon. 
there's one scripture that over the years, um, I I used to I used to be quite aggressive in my responses uh, to uh, to colleagues and and in life I had a very quick tongue, and I had to fight for years and some I still have to fight it. Uh, sometimes I just I just say something before I've even thought about it. I used to do it in, in the army on the parade ground, so it got me into, into some hot water. But I memorized the scripture. I said, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I used to quote it to myself all the time. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And use it as a weapon. In uh, the Conquer series, those guys, they're quite, he's quite funny. He would write the scripture underneath underneath the sole of his foot, and he, <laughs> he would walk. He said he was stomping on the devil when he was walking on, on, on those scriptures, you know, stomping on, on the devil as a, like a symbol that he was using scripture to, to fight the battle. So we use scripture, we use the weapons that God has given us, and we use the context of community as a weapon. And, and then we express love, and we just come alive in that context, and we enjoy our Christianity. We enjoy being Christians. We enjoy loving God, and we enjoy being with other people. And uh, so I leave you with those, with those thoughts that revelation and passion and perseverance uh, are the things that are associated with community that maybe we should think about a little bit that will get rewarded at the end of this journey, that the passion really comes from the revelation. That's not something that we wind up, that if we seek revelation, God will give it. Remember, God says that if any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. I don't know about you. I pray for wisdom every day. I'm not I don't consider myself a wise person. I want God's wisdom. I really do. And I need it on a daily basis. If we ask him, he'll give it. If he gives it to us, we will have the wisdom. The revelation will come to us. And then the passion will ignite from that place. We'll be passionate about what we do as we seek his gifts and seek him. And we find him. And then we'll be able to persevere. And the perseverance will come. And it'll be easy. And we know that we're going to get rewarded. It's going to be amazing. We're going to be able to win major medals at the end of all of this. And each of us will get rewarded in our own way. And even in this lifetime, I'm, I'm thinking quickly, and my time's gone, but I'm thinking quickly of Luther when he was asked to recant. And he said, give me 24 hours. He put him in a cell there, and he was praying all night. He said, all night he was praying. And now they ask him to recant. All these writings that you've written, you need to recant now. You need to... You need to um, state that, that you, you disagree with your own writings. And um, he went and he prayed all night. And he said, there was no white light that appeared. There was no angel that visited him in the cell. There was no booming voice of God talking to him. Nothing. He just walked in the next day and said, I'm sticking to what I said. I can do no other. And he handed himself over to, to them and to God's mercy. And God, God saved his life. But he just did it out of conviction. There was no booming voice, no flashing white light. Sometimes we don't get that. But we can know. And he knew. He had a conviction. He had a revelation of something that God had shown him. And he was able to stick to his guns and, 
you know, a lot of the product of what we are today is because of what he did on that, on that day. So can I pray for us quickly? You want to pray? Lord Jesus, can we just close our eyes? And uh, Lord Jesus, we, we want to thank you for this morning. We, we talk about things and think about things and try and do things your way. And we know we don't get it right, um, but we want to do things better. And Lord, we, we may be, for, for a long time, we had a, a lot of principles, as we discussed last week, that we applied. But... We don't want principles. We want life. We really do. And uh, Jesus, I, I just want to pray for your life over people. I want to ask that we would have a context where there's so much life and there's life in abundance that the Spirit would just minister to people, that the Spirit would be with us, that you said, Jesus, that you would send us a counselor, a comforter, somebody that would be with us, that would be able to to give us what we need in that hour. You said that when we would get dragged in front of the authorities, it would be given you in that hour what to say. And uh, for many of us, in many moments on a daily basis, we need you to give us in that hour what we need. And uh, Lord, the community context is a context that you've given us as a weapon where we can bounce things off others, where we can be encouraged by others. And uh, Jesus, we want to honor you. We do. You're the head of your body. We want to do things that's honorable and honoring to you. So I just wanted to ask this morning, if, if there's anything that resonated with you, if there's, if there's even maybe a person or people that believe that they haven't really grappled with this idea that God has actually gifted them in a certain way and maybe there's something hidden secretly inside them inside all of us that hasn't been used but that can be used and that God wants to put to use and that God wants to make come alive uh, if, if, if that's you I'm, I just wanted to ask you to respond maybe um, yeah, if, if there's anybody uh, there, maybe we can just pray for you. Uh, maybe even in general for, for people to explore their gifting. I know there are people here and people online that have not explored what God's put inside them. So if that's you, I think just as an expression of, of a response to God, if you can just maybe raise your hand or if you're at home, if you can raise your hand at home even just say to God yes Lord I, I, I never thought about it this way and I don't even know what it is that you've put inside me I didn't think you wanted to use me but we know that God does 
I'd love to pray for, for those people. I'd love to pray even for those that maybe have explored their gifting, but feel that there's more for them. There's more opportunity that possibly there are things that you desire that you haven't seen, but that you do desire. I know that there are people like that as well. I'd also love to pray for you. There are people that, that have things deep, hidden deeply inside them, like dreams, things that they really want to do and have been wanting to do. And maybe you've buried some of those, those dreams. We want to pray for you. We want to ask God to make those things come alive. I believe that God wants to do that for you this morning. He does. He wants to do it for you and for me. So, Lord Jesus, you see the people at home that are standing that have raised hands. You see people in front of you standing that have raised hands. And I know that there are people that are not standing because maybe they're not comfortable. And that's okay. Because you know, you can see into people's hearts. And it feels like you are just wanting to pour out your love upon your people. And you, you want people to be able to express what you've expressed to us through the Son, as God so loved the world that He gave, He gave His only begotten Son, that the Lord Jesus would be born to be able to rescue and, and be a new Adam and bring us into the new Adam and reconcile us with the Father. That love you want to pour out upon your people and you want to enable and empower your people to express that to others. And to do that in the context of community, to be able to express love, to be able to express a care and, and a, a consideration of others. And it's by that that the church will be made known. When they see that, they see you. So Jesus, I want to ask that for every individual that stood up at home, that's standing in front of us, that you would come by the power of your spirit and you would... You would do something for those that are saying to you, Lord, I'm expressing to you the things that have been spoken about. I want to ask that you come and you do something inside them, oh God. I want to ask for an outpouring of your spirit. I want to ask that you make us come alive, oh God, in Jesus' name. We ask that as Peter preached, they were cut to the heart and the spirit was poured out upon people as they turned to you. They changed their minds. They repented. They rethought. As they turn to you, well, that's what these people are doing, God. They're turning to you. They're saying, we are rethinking. We are repenting. We are rethinking. We are changing our minds. We're looking at you and we're saying, God, maybe you actually do want to do something through me. I ask that you would do that, God, that you come. That you come by the power of your spirit and that you would ignite something inside them, a passion, a faith something that bubbles up inside it comes up inside and spills over something that will pour out Paul said he poured himself out like a drink offering it would be like that it would be water coming up inside and spilling over a good measure shaken spilling over be running over oh God in Jesus name